Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up on the DJ Sports Show, I'm going to talk about why I believe Clev Williams of the USC Trojans is the next great NFL quarterback, as he's been compared to Patrick Mahomes and is the favorite to go number one in next year's NFL draft. The former Heisman Trophy winner had a historic season last year, going for 42 passing touchdowns, rushing for 10, and over 4,500 yards. We're also going to get into Cooper Flag versus Cameron Boozer at the Nike Peach Jam and what is looking like a promising 2026 NBA draft at the top. I also want to dive into some summer league takeaways, Victor Wambayama, Scoot Henderson, and a few other rookies. And I want to get into some tennis as Wimbledon is going on. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you guys leave a five-star rating on the podcast, Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, and listen, Anchor, Radio Public, Overcast, wherever you guys listen. Make sure you guys continue to share the podcast, DJ Sports Show, and the website, djsportshow.com, on all things sports, as we team to try to get better and grow, as I've hit places all over the world, from Korea, China, India, Japan, Canada, Africa, you name it, and all over the U.S. So we're going to continue to try to grow and get better. Make sure you guys check out my shop section on my website where I've added two new, four new shirts actually to my shop section. A basketball shirt where I named basketball Splash Ice. It was, you should guys look at the design. It is beautiful. Same thing with my football design I, I created this past weekend. So make sure you guys go check that out. Share it with your friends, anybody who likes sports, and go cop some clothing for your boy as you continue to try to grow. Make sure you guys subscribe to the YouTube channel, DJ Sports Show as well. I'm going to come up with a new video in the next week or two. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that on Cooper Flag, And I think he's the next great generational prospect. But yes, without further further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the show. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to first start off with Caleb Williams. So there's a ton of young quarterback talent in the NFL right now. I think you're talking about superstar quarterbacks in their prime. So this is Kansas City Chiefs, two-time Super Bowl champion MVP Patrick Mahomes who I consider the best quarterback in the entire NFL and the best player as well. He just won Best Male Athlete of the ESPYs or other franchise pillars such as Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow or Buffalo Bills Josh Allen. That's not even even including other great talents around the NFL such as Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens, Trevor Lawrence of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles, Justin Herbert of the Los Angeles Chargers, and more who have shown flashes such as Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears, and this year's number one draft pick coming in Bryce Young of the Carolina Panthers. All these players are either in their prime, such as Mahomes, Allen, and Jackson, or just getting started, such as Herbert, Hertz, and Lawrence, just to name a few. Right now, Mahomes is the obvious, undisputed best player in the league the last couple of years. But there's a young, electrifying quarterback playing for the USC Trojans who's been garnering comparisons to the Chiefs star quarterback, and that is the 2022 Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams. So who is Caleb Williams? Williams is entering his junior season this coming fall for the Trojans and is projected as the clear-cut number one pick in a 2024 NFL draft in what is expected to be a loaded draft class. Williams, 21, stands 6'1", 220 pounds with an NFL-ready frame that should only continue to get stronger as he matures. He fits the modern-name prototype of what GMs are looking for in a star quarterback, as he's a dual threat with the ball in his hands, who can make any throw you can think of out of the pocket, whether that's standing in the pocket, short, short, sharp route passes, the deep ball, or also twisting his body one way while throwing it off bounce, a la Mahomes-esque. Williams had a superhuman season as a sophomore last season, as a Trojan accumulating a whole, I mean, accumulating a whopping 4,537 yards for 42 touchdowns, 
with a QBR rating of 87.5, which was fifth in college football last year, and a passer rating of 160.5 last season, while completing 66% of his passes. He also displayed his ability to get out in the open field and run the ball like you see of many of the prominent quarterbacks in the league, such as Jackson, Allen Mahomes, and Hurts, to name a few, finishing with 10 rushing touchdowns last season. Similar to Mahomes, Williams is known for throwing accurate passes with great velocity in tight situations, making what seems like will be a negative outcome for a play and using his unique talent and abilities to make something positive out of it instead. Despite Williams' prowess as a quarterback, of course, there are some things he needs to work on, such as, you know, making smarter reads when there's tight coverage on a receiver instead of trying to force the pass, try to find another way to find another open receiver or run the ball yourself. Just those little things instead of forcing the issue. He also needs to improve his lower body mechanics when throwing as his accuracy tends to stumble a bit when making short throws. Here are some of his accomplishments. 2022 Heisman winner, 2022 AP College Player of the Year, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, All-Pac-12 First Team, Unanimous All-American Selection, 2022 Maxwell Award recipient. Williams is a breathtaking talent who will mesmerize you with his abilities on the football field. Whoever has number one pick next year will be getting a generational talent who's also a high character kid. He is going to be amazing in my opinion. I think he's going to be one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, I think, by his second or third year. That's how high I am on the kid's talent. He has great, he's a great head on his shoulders. He is willing to learn. He's coachable. And that's what you want in a player like him. Not every young guy is like that. They're not willing to learn or absorb information from veterans who've been there, but he is like that. And I think he's going to have another fantastic season as a Trojan. And he's going to make his way into NFL and really make some noise for whatever team is lucky enough to get him. Right now, he's mocked at number one, I think going to the Cardinals, which will be awkward because they have Kyler Murray there. If that were to happen, they'll have to get rid of Kyler Murray, trade for some assets. But Williams, to me, is going to be a generational talent in this league. And I think if he reaches his full potential, he could be the guy who could challenge Mahomes down the line. If all the pieces come together, this is the guy we could be talking about as a rivalry with Patrick Mahomes down the line. I don't know if you guys agree, but I think he'll be a top five quarterback by his second year in the NFL. So now I want to quickly talk about my summer league takeaways, some of the rookies in this year's Las Vegas summer league. And this draft class was one of the most hyped in a while. I want to talk about Scoot Henderson of the Portland Trailblazers, the young 19-year-old guard, played two years at J-League Ignite. There's been a lot of rumors of Damian Lillard, if, he, if he's going to get traded to the Miami Heat. You know, he's, he's expressed his willingness to get traded now after they got Scoot Henderson. Also, the Celtics, you have on the radar as well. Sixers as well on the radar of teams that he potentially can go to. So the Blazers got lucky in getting another franchise-type talent in Henderson, who looked very fearless in his pursuit of greatness in Game 1 at the Summer League. He was penetrating to the rim aggressively. Guys were bouncing off him. He was going to the rim, finding open shooters in the corner. He was doing pullback, step-back, mid-range jumpers, hitting threes. He was doing it all. He even had a nice reverse layup on one shot attempt. And I was like, whoa. He was a blur in open court. He was getting by guys so easily. He was running pick and roll sets, high screen and rolls like a seasoned veteran as a 19-year-old rookie. This is stuff you just don't see every day. And that's why I think he's going to be one of the best guards in the league by his third year. 
I think he'll be an all-NBA selection by his third year. That's how high I am on this kid's game and his work ethic. The only thing that will stop him from reaching superstar potential is injury. He has the work ethic and dedication to be great. He has to if he unlocks that jumper, it's over. It's over. He is someone who's unabashed on the basketball court, and it shows. His confidence, his swag, he is assured in himself and his game. He knows the work he puts in, and you see it out there. He displays it on the basketball court. And that's why I think Henderson is going to be one of the favorites for Rookie of the Year. I also want to talk about Victor Wembayama, the most hyped prospect in NBA history. Simple for French Mamba, who I nicknamed him. So if you heard it here first on my YouTube channel, I got over 90,000 views. That video I did back in March and released. He looked very apprehensive, timid in his first game in summer league against the Charlotte Hornets, number two pick in Brandon Miller. They were pushing him around. He couldn't keep his ground against shorter opponents in the post. He was turning the ball over like crazy. He shot like two for 13. He couldn't buy a basket. But he was affecting the game defensively. And at the rim, people were very timid, very hesitant to go towards the rim because of his length, his ability to switch and everything like that as a rim protector. And it's just his presence, his height, his length, eight foot wingspan. It was very appalling. And he made his presence felt defensively. It's just his offensive game. He looked very shy out there. He looked nervous. I saw the nerves in him because I've never seen him play like that. He, yeah, he was, he was trying to get used to the NBA game. And he even stated that He's been doing more non-basketball activities with the NBA draft, the Britney Spears thing that happened, and he hasn't really been able to focus on just basketball. Now he just gets to focus on basketball. He's trying to get back into top shape, he said, and he's getting his conditioning better, he stated. So that's something I can't wait to see as the season gets closer. Once he gets in better shape and gets to work with the Spurs strength training program, that's going to be scary. In the second game, because the first game, after the first game, people were calling him a bus over the internet, Instagram, Twitter. Any social media you could find, Facebook, they were, they were going ham on this kid. I'm like, yo, it's just one game. It's Summer League. Relax. Like, this ain't his whole career. Let the kid grow. Let him adjust to the NBA game. Like, I hate when people do that. That's why internet sometimes is just toxic. What did he do in his second game? He responded. He had 27 points, 12 rebounds, 3 blocks. He showed us why he was so highly coveted as his hyped Number one pick, the best prospect, people were saying in NBA history. And like Woj said, the best prospect perhaps in sports history. He was hitting jumpers off the dribble. He was blocking shots. He, I think he had three blocks in the second game. He was getting boards. He was making nice passes to his teammate. He did that in the first game too. Some of his passes have been really incredible to see for a guy that size to have that type of feel and vision. Once he plays with better teammates who actually could finish better at the rim catch the ball he would have had way more assists i'm just like some of the passes he made i feel bad because some of his teammates ain't finishing them i'm just like damn man like come on that was a nice pass he displayed some nice crossovers off the dribble looking like a 7-4 kevin durant which he's been compared to and he's been a game changer defensively he's everything i imagine him to be the hype is worth it he's going to continue to get better yes he needs to get stronger because he was getting pushed out of his spots push from his position in the post whenever he tried posting up but man he was hitting he hit some threes in the second game he looked way more comfortable in the second game compared to the first game it's a bummer in that second game with the blazers school henderson was out due to hurting his shoulder in the first game so we didn't get to see that matchup again like we saw 
in that classic in October, the exhibition games with Ignite versus Metropolitan's, Metropolitan's 92s. But he really displayed why he's called the alien with the Bayamba. And that's why I think he's going to be in the favor. He's the favorite to win rookie of the year. But Henderson's going to have something to say about that. Another rookie I want to get into is Chet Holmgren. So this guy's been the forgotten unicorn. He was the number two pick last year for the OKC Thunder, seven foot one. He was 190 pounds last year. Since then, since he broke his, he fractured his Les Fransk, how you say it, Les Fransk, in his foot, and he was out for a whole season. And he did that while playing in the Drew League last summer, which was unfortunate on LeBron Drive. What has he done since? He's gotten stronger. He put on 15 pounds of muscle. He looks way stronger out there on the court. Suddenly, he's been looking amazing. He's blocking shots everywhere. He's getting seven, eight, six blocks per game. He's doing crazy stuff defensively. He's flying out there on the floor. He's hitting jumpers. He's looking more comfortable. He could take the banging at the rim. He's more He's more aggressive driving to the rim now. Now he's put on some extra muscle. And he just looks amazing. I think he's, he's my personal favorite to win Rookie of the Year. Just because he's had the extra year to bulk up his body and work with NBA trainers and guys in practice. He's my favorite to win it. I know Wemby's probably going to get the most touches with the Spurs. Dude's to be the number one pick, and he's going to be the go-to guy from day one. And same with School Henderson. Assuming they trade Damian Lillard prior to the start of the season, those two guys are going to get more touches because Holmgren has Shea Gilders-Alexander he's playing with, who's an all-NBA first-team selection. And then, no, he's not NBA first-team, but he's all-NBA second-team. He's all-NBA type player, excuse me. But you have Holmgren, who's been playing with a guy like that, so he's not going to be the number one guy. And you have J-Dub, Jalen Williams, who's going to continue to get better. He showed a lot of promise last year as a rookie. So Holmgren's going to be like the n- number three option to start off his career. If he comes in right away, lighting things up, we could be talking about him as a number two option very, very soon. Because his ability on the basketball court to affect the games in many different ways, similar to a Wimbayama, it- it's scary. Everybody call Wimbayama a better version of Chet, taller version. But, man, I can't wait to see these guys go at each other in the NBA. I think they could form a great rivalry. And these guys could change the NBA. 1B and Chet, they could take the 7-footer skill set to a whole nother level. Think about it. Kevin Durant, he changed the game. But these two guys, 1B and Chet, offensively, they could do pretty much everything Kevin Durant can do. They look smooth out there on the floor. They can shoot. But they're better defenders. They're better shot blockers than Durant ever was. Especially at this age, they're both. 1B is 19. Chet is 21. Kevin Durant wasn't doing this type of stuff defensively that these two guys are doing. So if these guys continue to develop their games and reach their full potential, it's going to be scary for the league. And I can't wait to see the matchups these two have throughout their careers. So I just want to give a shout out to Chet right there. He's my favorite to win Rookie of the Year as of right now. Another rookie... I want to talk about our rookies is the Thompson twins, man. Amon Thompson, that first game, he played one game because he was after that first game, it was diagnosed. He had ankle soreness, so he was out for the rest of the summer league. But he played against Scoot Henderson in that first game, Rockets versus Blazers. And he balled out, man. He scored 22 points that game. He was getting to the rim. He was finding teammates. He displayed great defense. He was playing on ball against Scoot on a lot of the possessions on the defensive end for the Rockets. And he just looked real comfortable out there. I want to see him attempt more jumpers in the mid-range when 
a defender sagging off of you or coming off a pick and roll, just just try to go up, raise up, and shoot it with confidence. That's what I want to see more of him doing on the court. That's going to take him to the next level. Because with his brother, Asar, he looked amazing. He has looked really amazing. He had 17 points the other night against the Raptors, against Grady Dick. And he had nine rebounds as well. He had four steals. He looked very comfortable out there on the floor. He was finding guys in outlet passes and transition with beautiful dimes. He had he had one play, Asar Thompson, where he got the steal, passed it to Marcus Sasser in transition. Marcus Sasser passed it right back to him on the reverse alley-oop slam. That just shows the type of potential Asar Thompson has. His ability to affect the game on both ends of the floor. Same with Amon Thompson. Amon Thompson had one drive in the Portland Trailblazer game where he was going to the right. He somehow adjusted his body in midair, finished with the left hand on the right side while he was moving towards the out of bounds and kissed it off the glass and it was an and one. I'm like, yo, this is this is poetry. This is this is poetry in motion. These Thompson twins, they're the poster boys for the overtime elite. A lot of people are going to be looking at them, how much success they have in the league. And they're going to be like, okay, they turned out really well. I want to try OTE Elite. They're the poster boys. It's up to them for people to trust in OTE for future prospects. So them bowling out in Summer League is a very, very good sign right now. I know it's still early. They haven't played against real NBA comp yet. But this is just tipping of the iceberg. And Osar Thompson has displayed some ability to shoot the ball. We all know he was a better shooter than Amon. He did a pullback, step-back mid-range when Grady Dick was guarding him and hit that with confidence. And then he also hit a three-pointer with a shot clock expiring on one play. I'm like, yo, this kid, the Pistons got a good one. He's going to form a great young core with Jaden Ivey, Kay Cunningham, Jalen Duran on the Pistons. They got something going on in Detroit. Something is brewing over there. And he got Marty Williams now as the head coach. That's going to be something to behold. Same with the Rockets. Amon Thompson, you got Jalen Green, who I think could still be a superstar. He's only 21. We got to give him time. And now he has a real structure, a real coach, Ime Udoka. We'll see how he progresses in his third year. And then Cam Whitmore, man. Cam Whitmore, I had projected as a top 10 pick. I had him in my mock draft. If you looked at my mock draft, I did. And I released last month. I had him going seventh overall. He dropped to 20. And... NBA team's got to be regretting that. Summer League, he's looked smooth. He's looked calm. He looks like he has a higher IQ than I even gave him credit for. He has made great reads for passing the ball. He's been a sweet shooter. He can shoot the ball from three. Powerful athlete like we all knew. Strong going to the rim. Guys bounce off him. He could take contact well. He's been great defensively. This past game against the Warriors in Summer League, he had 26 points. He had eight steals. Eight steals. That is unheard of for a rookie to have that type of field defensively. He's getting in passing lanes, great making great anticipation. Like this is this is insane. I didn't think he had this type of IQ defensively right out the gate. And he's only gonna get better. He's gonna learn more from Ime Yudoka. And I can't wait to see what the next step is for him. He's looked great. He's a steal at number twenty. The Rockets got a good one. They got a great young core brewing in Houston. So those are some rookies I definitely wanted to talk about. They've been balling out. So they've been standing out the most to me of all the rookies. Garrity Dick, he's been doing solid. He's had some inefficient performances, but he's been showing his potential, flashing his ability as well. But those 
Wimbayama, Scoot Henderson, Cam Whitmore, the Thompson twins. I also want to talk about Brandon Miller. He's looked inefficient at times, a little sluggish, but he has displayed some flashes as well. Off the dribble, hitting three-pointers, finishing strong at the rim, showing his athleticism, catching alley-oops. He took a lot of heat, too, after the first few games. People were bashing Brandon Miller, like, oh, this is why Scoot should have won number two, this and that. But he's had some strong finishes at the rim, dunking on people, catching one alley-oop play he had. He caught with two hands. He's soaring like he's MJ. I'm like, whoa, this guy is, yo, give him time to adjust to the NBA level because he can shoot, he's athletic, and he works hard. I think this draft class is going to be a really, really good one. I have a great feeling in my heart. I know when a draft class is going to be good. Because to me, this is the best draft class the NBA is going to get until 2026. And we're going to speak about that class coming up next. So I quickly want to talk about two of the top 2026 NBA draft prospects, Cameron Boozer and Cooper Flagg. So Cameron Boozer's team, the Knight Riders Elite, defeated Cooper Flagg's team in the Nike Peach Jam Championship game earlier uh, in July, 58 to 50. Um, Cameron Boozer only had five points in that game. He struggled, but his brother stepped up, draining 23 points, five assists, and three rebounds. Meanwhile, Cooper Flagg, despite his team losing, finished with 18 points, seven assists, and 12 rebounds. This was pedestrian numbers compared to what he's been doing. But there was one game, the main United, which is Cooper Flagg's AAU team, they handed the Knight Riders their first and only loss in Nike Peach Jam. And both players were going at each other's neck in that game. Boozer dropped 22 points and 12 rebounds. He was He's a physical specimen. He has NBA-ready body. He loves banging down low. He's getting dunks. He can hit the three. He can put the ball on the floor. He can post you up. He kind of he has an old-school type of game, but he still has the modern-day skills that you need for a big and that you want in a big man he's very polished offensively he's very poised in the way he plays the game he doesn't seem rushed and he just knows how to play and i think he's going to be going to college dominating right away and he's gonna be a top two pick in whatever draft he enters which is most likely the 2026 nba draft so he had 22 points and 12 rebounds in that game in the first meeting against flag flag had 21 points seven assists and 10 boards as this team walked away with the 73-65 win in that in that original game against the Knight Riders. And Cooper Flagg was the best player throughout the Nike Peach Jam. He, even though they didn't win the championship, had some incredible games that will make your mouth drop with some of his statistics. He had, oh man, I'm trying to find the statistics right now. He had one game where he had 37 points, I believe, he had 12 rebounds, and he had 10 blocks, 10 blocks in a game. He's the best shot blocker in all of high school. He's the best prospect in all of high school. I know Cam Boozer is generational talent in himself, but I think Cooper Flagg is the next one. And I even did an article on him calling him the menace from Maine, which y'all should go check out on my website. I called him the menace from Maine because he's from Newport, Maine. That's where he was born and raised. He is he is otherworldly. His athleticism, his fluidity on the court, the way he can handle the ball, run the pick and roll, he can shoot the three, he can do it off the bounce. He's freakishly athletic. He can guard multiple positions. He is just as good. He's even probably even better defensively than he is offensively, and he's amazing offensively. He's a generational talent. They have to call 
And when they were doing the NBA Top 100 camp, they were, they were doing Cooper rules because that's how dominant this guy is. And he's only 16. And Cameron Boozer is only 15, turning 16 this summer. These guys are going to be the next generation of talents of the NBA. I know Victor Wimbayama just came in this year, but the next great draft class, to me, is the 2026 NBA draft. The next few in 2024 and 2025, scouts aren't as excited about, and neither am I. I've been looking at the talent. There's some good players, but I don't see no one who's going to dominate the league as potential MVP-type candidates, all-NBA first-team-type guys. There's nobody who really stands out to me right now on that type of level. The next class for that is 2026. And Cameron Boozer, prior to the championship game, he was averaging 17.2 points, 11.7 rebounds, 5.3 assists, and 2.5 blocks per game. He just continues to dominate everywhere he seemingly goes. And he did the same thing at the NBA Top 100 camp. Cooper Flagg was MVP at the NBA Top 100 camp this summer. He averaged 25.4 points, 13 rebounds, 5.7 assists, and 6.9 blocks throughout the tournament. Even LeBron James pulled him aside and gave him some words of encouragement. That is, oh man. Cooper Flagg averaged those numbers in the Nike Peach Jam after an MVP performance in the Top 100 camp just the week prior. This guy had, yeah, like I said, so he had 37 points, 12 rebounds, 10 blocks, adding six assists and two steals in a 67-65 win for the main United over the NH Lightning in a game. And he did that from, he did, he had another game where he had absurd numbers. I forgot the statistical line, but he had another game where he had eight blocks. This guy was averaging almost a triple-double with blocks. His defensive ability is impeccable. It's unprecedented. His timing on his shot on his shot blocking is you don't see this. And his help defense, his ability to recover the energy he plays with, the consistency, the passion, the desire, the will. You don't see that in kids, especially on the defensive end, the less glamorous end of the basketball court. People want to do that on the offensive end. Get their shine, get the flashiness, get the highlight, get the mixtape. But the defensive end, this kid is different, man. This kid is different. And I've been watching him since he was before his freshman year of high school. When he was in eighth grade and coming into his freshman year, I was like, who's this kid? He's special. But, you know, I like to wait a little bit until they get into high school first, play against high school comp, elite comp, and then see if they're the real deal. This kid's the real deal. Boozer is a generational talent, but I think Cooper, to me, he he's my guy. I, I if I'm the, if I have the number one pick in 2026, I'm NBA GM. I'm flocking to get a top pick in 2026. These two are generational. They could change your franchise. They continue on this path in development. They're going to change franchise. They're going to win MVPs and they're going to win championships. These guys are different, man. The NBA is in good hands. When Bayama coming in, one NBA scout told the Yahoo Sports they're two of the best prospects to ascend the high school rankings in the past decade. Cooper has a two-way skill set and is the best versatile defender in high school basketball, while Boozer might be the most polished offensive player in America. They both have a floor of a starting-level player in the NBA with a chance of developing into all-league players with longevity. That is saying something. Cooper holds offers from Duke, UCLA, Michigan, UConn, Iowa, you name it. And Boozer... You know, he has his fair share of offers as well from Duke, 
probably other big schools as well, North Carolina, Arkansas, Florida State, and the list goes on and on. So these two players are special, and that's not even including AJ Dibansa, who's the number one player in the class of 2026, but there's been rumors he could reclassify to 2025 due to being a little bit older for his class. So if he he's a generational talent, too. He gives me Giannis vibes. So you're talking about three potential generational talents that could potentially be in the 2026 NBA draft. So, ladies and gentlemen, if I'm NBA GM, NBA scouts, gear up for the 2026 NBA draft. Because it's looking like a very special draft class from what I'm looking at. And I've been looking at the draft class for like the last year or two. And I know a, a draft class one is going to be special from years ahead. I knew it was going to be special for 2021 with Kay Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, and them. 2023, Victor Wambayama, School Henderson, I knew it was going to be special. Same thing with 2018, with Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Michael Porter Jr., Darren Jackson. I knew that was going to be a loaded class. I just have an eye for knowing when a draft's going to be loaded. In this draft, I just know it. If Cooper stays in this class and doesn't reclassify, there's been rumors he could reclassify to 2024 to enter the 2025 NBA draft because he just makes the the date mark from when he was born. He was born like late December to be eligible for the 2025 draft. He just he just passes the mark. So, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the 2026 NBA draft is going to be a special one. If I'm an NBA GM, I'm gearing up for the 2026 draft class. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break. We're coming back. We're going to talk about some Wimbledon tennis as the champions were crowned this past weekend. But don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Switching gears to tennis now. Going into the Wimbledon championships with the women's and men's side. So women's side first. On the women's side, we have Marquetta Vondrasova defeating number six Onus Jobur to become the first unseated female champion in Wimbledon history. So on Saturday at Wimbledon, Vondrasova became the first unseated female champion in Wimbledon history after defeating the number six ranked Tunisian tennis player Onus Jobur 6-4-6-4 in a straight sets win in the best of three sets with the first to two taking the match in the women's game. Both players were seeking their first Grand Slam crown of their careers heading into the match. And Jabor was coming off defeating number two ranked Belarusian Erna Sabalenka in the semifinal with Vandras Sova defeating Ukrainian Elena Satalina in the semifinal round. Early on, it seemed Jabor had the upper hand on Vandrasova as she seemed more aggressive in the early part of the first set, taking the first two or three games in the opening set. Rondarsova, however, would come back to take the third game off back-to-back unforced errors from Jabor after being deuced, which means tied at 40-40, that ended up in Jabor hitting the net off Vondrasova's cross-court shot. That resulted in Vondrasova taking the third game of the first set. So there were nerves and pressure that seemed to start reaping up on Jabor, leading the first set 4-2 as Vondrasova started finding her momentum and confidence in her game to score four consecutive points the rest of the way. Some of her incredible shots after trailing forward to two in the first included a great deep shot hit, being up 40 love, which means zero, on Jabor, to tally her third point of the set 
off a of backhanded from Jabor that looked like it was good. Jabor had 15 unforced errors in the first set compared to Vrondrasova's six and just 44% of her first serves compared to Vrondrasova's 70%. After an incredible comeback in the first set by Vrondrasova, her confidence was uplifting. Jabur had gained some momentum after a victory in the second game of the second set with the score deuced 40 to 40 with some precise backhand hits that caused Vrondrasova to be unbounced when attempting to return. Similar to the first set, Jabor took a commanding 3-1 lead in the second set with, a, with the Wimbledon title seemingly in grasp for the Tunisian tennis player. Vondrasova received the break, which means a lost game for the server, from Jabor in the fifth game of the set to make it 3-2 as Jabor gave another break for Vondrasova. Ultimately, Vondrasova showed resilience and composure throughout each set despite trailing in back-to-back -back sets. She overcame a 3-1 deficit in the second to overcome that by outsourcing Jabor 5-1 to one to grab the Wimbledon crown off a volley hit. Vondrasova dropped to the ground overwhelmed with emotions after just making history as the first unseated women's Wimbledon champion. The crowd cheering with delight as she hit a tennis ball with a smile on her face to the crowd and dropped to her knees to absorb the moment. Here's where Vondrasova outmatched Jabor in their match. First serve percentage, 63-48. to 48. Win percentage on first serve, 61 to 48. Receiving points, 68 for Vondrasova, 57 for Jabor, and service points, 36 to 28. After the match, Vondrasova expressed how anxious she was for the match to be over. I couldn't breathe. I was just thinking to myself, just be over. On the other side, Jabor emphasized how this was the toughest loss of her career. I think this is the most painful loss of my career, as she wiped away tears in the process. This was an improbable victory for Vrondrasova as she was a clear underdog heading into the match, being one and four in previous appearances on Wimbledon grass and defied all the odds with the world witnessing what it takes to be a champion. Determination, composure, consistency, and sacrifices. Vrondrasova, 24 years, old, 24 years of age, is now projected to make her world debut in the top 10 at number 10 after claiming her first Grand Slam title. Turn the tables now to the men's side. I watched this game on Sunday. This was one of the greatest matches, greatest sporting events I've ever witnessed in my entire life. So on Sunday, we had the men's Wimbledon singles championship. It was highly anticipated heading into the match already. It was who the very best number one ranked Spanish tennis player, Carlos Alcaraz, facing off against number two Serbian Novak Djokovic in a clash of the generations and what was one of the most riveting sporting finales we've ever seen in a battle between the student and the teacher. Alcaraz, the student, bested the teacher in this instance by besting Djokovic in a 1-6, 7-6, 6-1, 3-6, 6-4, 5-set thriller for the ages and a starling comeback against whom many consider the greatest men's player of all time. Djokovic, he was looking to claim his eighth Wimbledon title and 24th Grand Slam in total after winning four consecutive, basically, 2019, 2021, and 2022 Wimbledon titles, with 2020 being canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And he just defeated number eight ranked Italian Janik Sinner in the semifinal round of the Wimbledon um, tournament. Alcaraz defeated the number three ranked Russian Danny Medvedev 
in the semifinal round and was looking to claim his second career Grand Slam title and his first Wimbledon trophy at the All-England Club. So in the first set, Djokovic displayed his experience and mastery of the game on Alcaraz, dominating the first set 6-1, to one, scoring five consecutive points in the first set off an incredible array of cross-court shots, off-bounce cross-body shots with impe impeccable body control, as well as backhanders. Albeit, Alcaraz did have the audacity to hit the ball between his legs backward and somehow almost landed it inbounds on one play. That was implausible to witness. There was one rally of 19 hits back and forth between the two tennis gods. I saw them both playing the baseline to perfection with one seemingly not being able to get the other off its course until Alcaraz finally hit a gorgeous straight baseline drive and Djokovic's ad court, which is the left side of the court, that gave him a 30 to 15 advantage advantage in the second set with Djokovic up two games you can see which was amazing to witness. Alcaraz was more aggressive and more eased in the grand stage of the Wimbledon final in the second set as he had a beautiful backhand volley in one sequence that just didn't seem like he should have been able to score by having to twist his body from an awkward angle with his back facing the neck. Both players at times slipped on the grass for one instance when Alcaraz was up 30 to 15 in the second set and as he hit a baseline drive Djokovic was trying to run after it to return it but ultimately slipped in the process and gave Alcaraz a 40 to 15 advantage which eventually allowed him to take a 5-4 lead in the second set. Alcaraz would eventually take the second set 7-6 after taking a 6-5 lead with Djokovic coming right back to tie it up 6-6 in the next game to cause a tiebreaker. However, Alcaraz responded with a miraculous shot in the tiebreaker game to win the set 7-6. Alcaraz started to assert his dominance even more in the third set, taking it 6-1 over Djokovic by taking back-to-back -back sets to take a 2-1 set lead. Djokovic will set forth, set forth his brilliance once again in the fourth set, taking it 6-4 to tie it at two apiece, heading into fifth and final set with the winner taking home the Wimbledon crown and what has been a battle for the ages already up to this point. The final set started evenly matched as both players went at it, with Alcaraz taking the first two of three games. In the fourth game, Alcaraz clinched off a two-handed backhand baseline hit that resulted in Djokovic smashing and breaking one of his tennis rackets. He now trailed 3-1 to one in the final set. Djokovic will make a little comeback, but Alcaraz quickly evaporated any hope for his idol to try to make a miraculous comeback, as he's done numerous times throughout his illustrious career by being able to close out off a strong, powerful hit that Djokovic failed to get above the net that was match point for the Spaniard prodigy. Alcaraz quickly dropped to the ground, exasperated and overwhelmed with emotions, with a crowd elating, with applause and cheers as the 20-year-old just defeated the man who's had a stranglehold on Wimbledon for of the past four years. The players met at center court and gave one another a hug and mutual respect in what was one of the greatest, most competitive sporting events the world has ever witnessed the last five hours. Djokovic expressed high praise for Alcaraz, who seems destined to lead the new generation, stating, I haven't played a player like him ever. That's a prodigious Amount of phrase coming from a 23-time Grand Slam champion who's played some incredible players throughout his career, such as Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, who are considered goats of the sport. And that's not even including Andy Murray as well. 
That might be a great deal of pressure, but if there's anyone who's proved to be worthy of the phrase, it's Alcaraz. Alcaraz, who's just 20 years of age, becomes the first player outside the big four of Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, and Andy Murray to win the tournament since 2002. He now has the number one spot on lock heading to the U.S. Open in New York City starting August 28th as he's the defending champion after taking his first Grand Slam there last year. If Alcaraz's performance at Wimbledon was just a taste of what's to come, the sports world is in for a treat. This was one of the most riveting, compelling, captivating sporting events I've ever seen in my life. Both players were going at it. Both were giving it their all. Well, even when they were exhausted and you saw it on their faces, they gave every ounce of energy that they had throughout the entire five and a half hours of the match. And that's all you ask for. When you're a fan coming in, paying all this money to come see these athletes play at the highest level they possibly can, that's what these two players gave to us on Sunday. And it was, it was amazing to watch. And I'm just thankful to have witnessed it live. And Alcaraz, who I've been saying for years now on this podcast, is the next one. He's the one. He's the one I see following the footsteps of his predecessors and Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, the great ones, the ones who are at that GOAT level. If he continues on his path, continues to improve his game, stay healthy and focused, he could be on that level. He already has two Grand Slam titles at just 20 years of age. And he, he's the favorite going into the U.S. Open. But Djokovic is going to have something to say about that. Because he, he he's, he's motivated. After losing this, you know he's going to be hungry for some more. But Alcaraz now has the number one spot on lock for the foreseeable future. And we'll see if Djokovic or if anybody else can try to unseat the now new tennis king of men's tennis. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do for the podcast. Hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Dive into some Clev Williams, who I believe he's the next great NFL quarterback. Some NBA Summer League takeaways. Dive into some Wimbledon tennis as well. And I hope you guys continue to shout out the podcast, the website, DJ Sports Show, catching on Spotify, Google, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts, basically. Continue to spread the word. Leave five stars on the podcast. Leave a review. I want to continue to get up there in reviews. So leave reviews, please. I want to continue to get better, see what I need to work on, and see what I'm really good at. And also, subscribe to the website. It's free. Become a member, djsportshow.com. Make sure you tell anybody who loves sports. I do articles on various sports from NBA, MLB, football, college sports, you name it. I've done it throughout the years. Hockey, tennis, you name it. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel, DJ Sports Show, as I'm going to release Lev Williams' video on Thursday. This coming Thursday, July 20th. So make sure you guys continue to go do those things. Continue to support. I appreciate all your guys' support throughout the years as I continue to try to get better. And check out my merch as well as I added new merch, new threads on my shop section of my website. So I think you guys will like it if you guys go check it out. And I hope you guys continue to spread word on the on the brand. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's been your host, DJ Hamilton. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I'll see y'all next time. Peace.